Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. So we continue our study on Jesus and the biblical feasts. And last week, we began a new feast season in our study of the feasts. And Pentecost, we realized and learned, is both, I'm sorry, this was two weeks ago, we had a business meeting, very exciting stuff last week, if you weren't here, you missed it, but anyway, two weeks ago, we talked about Pentecost, that it is both a festival and a season. It is celebrated 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits, and so we looked at the Feast of Pentecost and how its observance changed as the Jews began to grow as a nation and spread out among other nations. And over time, the Feast of Pentecost became a celebration of the giving of the law to Moses at Mount Sinai. And we learned that Jewish scholars believe that it was on the day of the Feast of Pentecost that God gave Moses the Torah. And that is so cool to think about. We tied this profound revelation to the events on the day of Pentecost that we know so well and hear about so often around here in Acts chapter 2. That this imagery that Luke gives us of fire and wind parallels directly with how the book of Exodus attempts to describe what the, G- what the Hebrews saw and what they heard at the Mount Sinai when God was talking to Moses. Exodus describes God's voice like thunder and lightning to them. This was the second major encounter that Israel had as a nation with God. And we understand that it really freaked them out. It made them fearful. I mean, you thought the death angel was intense. I mean, that is intense. That's a major first encounter. But now they are hearing and seeing fire and smoke. God's voice sounds like a really scary storm to them, to, put, to be real blunt about it. So much so that in Exodus 20, we know that they tell Moses, we don't want to talk to God. We are so scared. If he talks to us directly and not to us through you, we will die. Wow, what a memorable time that must have been. And so we realized, though, that this demonstration of the power of God was completely overwhelming to them because they had never experienced God in such a tangible, visual way. And yet God came down on a mountaintop to meet with his people for the very first time at Mount Sinai. But thank God, it would not be the last time. And Jeremiah prophesied that a new covenant was coming when he told us, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. A new way was coming, Jeremiah said. For God's people to experience his amazing power. God told Jeremiah, someday my law will not just be limited to tablets of stone given to one person. But someday I will have a relationship with my people in such a way that I will share my law with them and put it in their hearts. God's people would not just hear him through the reading of the law. 
They would experience him in a very personal way. They would see his presence again through fire. And Jesus fulfilled the Feast of Pentecost when he was glorified and ascended into heaven. Acts 1-4, Jesus was staying with them and he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Luke lets us know that it was 50 days after Jesus' resurrection that the Holy Spirit was poured out for the very first time and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. As God did with other feasts, he orchestrated his amazing plan for the beginning of a new covenant to coincide with a feast day, the day of Pentecost. And like the smoke that enveloped Sinai, like the thunder and lightning and the fire that the people saw that day, the Jews that gathered in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 saw the demonstration of God's Spirit upon His people as they were filled with the Spirit on that day. And we believe and preach here at TCC that the same experience that Jesus told his followers to wait in Jerusalem for is available and is necessary to the church today. We need that power in our lives. Jesus said that power was given to us for a very specific purpose, and that is that we would be a witness in the earth. And so we understand these feasts not only point God's people to the Messiah, Jesus, but they also represent steps that we are to take towards God as we grow in our relationship with him. Recapping them quickly. For the Passover, we invite God into our lives as they did that night. Through the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we repent of our sins. We search for that leaven like they did in the house. God, if there's anything in me that's not like you, that's displeasing to you, God, I repent. I turn away from my old way of living. And through the first fruits, we experience the power of Jesus' burial and resurrection through baptism. That it's through that act of obedience and faith on our part. The Bible says we rise up to walk with him in newness of life. And then as we just went over through the feast of Pentecost, we take another step towards God by being filled with his spirit. Amen. And so tonight, we continue our study by entering into the third and last feast season. The season of tabernacles. Now, this season includes three feasts. Pentecost is its own feast and its own season all by itself. I love that. It stands alone. That's it. We're done. All right? And so now we move into the season of tabernacles. And just like Passover and Pentecost, all Jewish males were to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem each year in observance of the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a very high Sabbath day. And like some of the other feasts that we've studied, the Feast of uh, Tabernacles also had another name. The Feast of Ingathering might be another term that you've heard before. But through its name, we understand that this feast season took place during the fall months. It would have been our September and October on our calendar. It was celebrating the end 
of the harvest season. And so this is very important for us to note in order to understand the purpose of this last season and God's great plan for us as New Testament believers. That this season's purpose was to teach us how to walk in God's rest. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Doesn't that sound like something we all need? Leave it to God to know what we need. Amen. And so after harvest time, naturally, the land was at rest. And the people were at rest. They were probably in a state of collapse because they had just done a lot of hard work. But through this festival season, God wanted his people to learn how to rest in him specifically. Like Passover shows us how to experience God's peace, and Pentecost shows us how to experience God's power. The Feast of Tabernacles, the season of Tabernacles, shows us how to experience God's rest. And so this feast season is unique from the other two in that it has not yet had a literal fulfillment. Isn't that exciting? We are waiting for the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. There has not been a tabernacle experience like there was with Passover and with Pentecost. But it's safe for us to assume, based on all that we've studied so far, that there will be a literal fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles someday. There will be a third and final encounter for all of God's people to experience When Jesus Christ returns to the earth someday. Through the second coming, God will establish his kingdom on the earth once and for all. And going back to Leviticus 23 verse 22. God reveals to us that the Gentiles, say that's us, that's us, would be included in God's Plan And what's so interesting, and I just had to um, acknowledge this to you tonight, is the context of that, that acknowledgement and inclusion of the Gentiles is found specifically in the context of the feast we're going to look at in the next few minutes, the Feast of Trumpets. Verse 22 says, And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. We see the application of this principle according to the law in the story of Ruth. Remember how she was allowed to go in after everyone else was done harvesting and reap that leftover harvest. And so that word sojourner is interpreted foreigner or stranger. It is referring to us Gentiles. And this is just so noteworthy, I think, because it lets us know all the way back in the book of Leviticus that God's great plan is so specific. It's so detailed and well-intentioned to include all of us. And I just want to encourage you, if this is all you remember about Growth University tonight, that if God can somehow work out all these feasts and all these details of human history over hundreds of years to perfectly accomplish and fulfill his ultimate plan to reach for every person that would ever be born on this earth. And surely he has a plan for you and I, and it's at work in our lives if we'll allow it to be. Amen. And so now let's hasten and look at the fifth 
feast of the Lord, the festival of trumpets. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 23 through 25. I'm going to read again in the New Living Translation. Says the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. On the first day of the appointed month in early autumn, you are to observe a day of complete rest. It will be an official day for holy assembly, a day commemorated with loud blasts of a trumpet. You must do no ordinary work on that day. Instead, you are to present special gifts to the Lord. And so again, we must point out the difference in the Jewish calendar and our calendar because they are very different. This feast of trumpets, which took place in the fall, was the beginning of the Jewish New Year. Now, you may be familiar with the Hebrew name for it, Rosh Hashanah, which means head of the year. And so let's look at the Old Testament Feast of Trumpets, or the Feast of Ingathering, with some bullet points for us tonight. That the main purpose of the Feast of Trumpets was to mark the beginning of this seventh month of their calendar year. It also marked the end of their religious season. The Feast of Trumpets was also meant to draw the people's focus ahead 10 days towards the Day of Atonement. Again, another very special special festival. Say that five times fast. Special festival day that we will study next week. The blowing of trumpets and the giving of sacrifices were the only events that took place during this festival. So not a lot of animals, not a lot of specific instructions, just Blast the trumpets real loud, you guys, and make some sacrifices. Have a holy day. And so the Hebrews blew trumpets. This is so interesting. They would blow trumpets on the first day of the month. But for trumpets, that particular month and season, they blew them extra loud and extra long. All right. Now remember this. This is going to be important. All right. And so they were not trumpets in the sense that you and I think of trumpets. I don't know if this is going to work, but we're about to find out. Aha! All right. These trumpets were made out of a ram's horn. It really comes in handy being a part of a family that claims a Jewish heritage for a series like this. Because here I have a chauffeur for you to see. All right. So the Hebrew word for this type of trumpet that they would have used during the Feast of Trumpets is called the chauffeur. The shofar has significance to the Hebrews because it represents, this is so cool, It represents the ram that was sacrificed by Abraham instead of Isaac. Very, very meaningful to the Hebrews. Jewish tradition teaches that God blew one of the ram's horn at Sinai on Pentecost. And that he will do it again at the coming of the Messiah. You don't have chills, I don't know. The significance of the trumpets in scripture is that it is a symbol of God's communication with his covenant people, which includes all of us now, thank God. Remember that on Sinai, the people were terrified at the voice and presence of God. And so God began to use trumpets in the Hebrew Bible as a means of communication, and they became a symbol of his voice to his people. We see this very clearly, and you've probably guessed this already, in the Battle of Jericho. 
Joshua chapter 6, chapter 6, verses 2 through 5 say, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Dropping down to verse 15. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And verse 20, so the people shouted. And the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout. And the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him. And they captured the city. Lots of mention of trumpets in God's battle plan for the city of Jericho. And so per God's instructions, no one said a word. Throughout all these proceedings, they marched in complete silence, following priests that held chauffeurs. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant came next, and then there was a rear guard, and then the people followed them. And on the seventh day, they marched around the city of Jericho seven times. The priests then blew the shofars at Joshua's command, one long blast. Then everyone was to shout, and you know the rest. You might have learned it in Sunday school, and the walls came tumbling down. I loved that song when I was a kid. We had on Kemper Road, I think Diane Densler was my teacher, and we had big, like, blocks. And we would build it while we were singing the song about Joshua, Father of Jericho. And so then... We could tear them down, and they were all over the Sunday school room, and it was awesome. I loved that story. So, can you imagine, though, over time, generation after generation, sharing this amazing story of God's power and deliverance for the Hebrew people, what that sound meant to the Jewish people, the sound of the blowing of the shofar. This is why the Jews referred to God as the horn of their salvation. The shofar was a symbol of God's ability to deliver them. King David appreciated this aspect of God in a way that few people could because David was a man of war, was he not? Yes, David referred to God as the horn of his salvation in the book of Psalms. Psalms 18, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. 
aren't those beautiful words? And to understand the significance of the horn of our salvation. And so let's look at Jesus and the Feast of Trumpets. Jesus is the horn of our salvation. And what is so amazing, I never realized this till our book pointed it out, that Zacharias identified Jesus as the horn of our salvation when he heard the news of his upcoming birth. In Luke chapter 1, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Isn't that amazing? The second thing that we realize is that Jesus came to defeat the enemies of our soul. Aren't you thankful? Amen. His purpose was not to defeat Rome and its empire. And that's what the Jews stumbled at. They wanted him to be a political superhero. They wanted him to knock down the bad guys and all their stuff and give it back to them like like they thought it belonged. But we understand, and I hope we understand in the world we're living in right now, that God has much greater interest than just our comfort and our political hopes and dreams. That we need to see him as the savior of the world and his utmost priority for every person is that their soul be saved. And so Jesus came and established his kingdom in the earth. Amen. The third thing, Jesus encountered spiritual warfare. We see this right away. Before Jesus even begins his earthly ministry, he spends 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And if you've ever wondered, what was that all about? Why did he spend his time talking to Satan and all of that? What you need to know is this, that through that exchange, Satan was trying to thwart his ability to be the perfect lamb of God. Through that conversation, we realized Satan was offering him an easy way out. A way that would have subverted God's divine plan. And that is the significance and the power of Jesus's example to us as he engaged in spiritual warfare through denying himself, through using the word of God to say, not my will, but your will be done, God. There is a plan at work and I must be in compliance and in obedience with what has been foretold. And fourth thing, through conquering sin and death, Jesus disarmed Satan and took him captive. Colossians says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And so we can sum up the significance of the Feast of Trumpets like this. In the Bible, trumpets symbolize God's triumph. God's triumph over his enemies is evident throughout the Bible, not just in physical warfare, but very much so in spiritual warfare. Warfare, And so here is the application for us as we come to our app time. Here we see the application of the Feast of Trumpets in our walk with God. That once we experience Pentecost, we will also experience spiritual warfare. 
Have you ever brought somebody to church and seen them pray through and then they go home and all hell breaks loose in their lives? And they start wondering, what have I gotten myself into? All of a sudden, my life seems harder than it was when I, before I came to your church. Kristen is laughing because we had many a conversation about this at Starbucks, didn't we? Yes, we did. But it's spiritual warfare. It's the next step in our approach towards God. God wants to become the horn of you and I's salvation as we draw closer to him. He wants to be the one that we depend on to fight our battles. It is through that kind of relationship with God that we can experience God's peace in our lives because we are at war with things that are unseen. Paul writes to help us understand that what we are up against and how we are equipped to fight those spiritual battles in Ephesians 6 when he says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Remember, he's writing to people that have already experienced the new birth. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand Firm because armor is necessary for battle. The spiritual armor that Paul goes on to teach us about in Ephesians chapter 6 really is not an option for you and I. And if we weren't sure if it was necessary or not, I would guess that the past year and all that happened made us realize that the armor of God is not a suggestion or something that we can be casual about, it is something that we absolutely need. And Jesus is the feast of trumpets. He is a victorious God. We can share in his triumph over sin and Satan in our lives. Calvary made this possible. We do not have to defeat Satan on our own. Jesus took care of that on the cross. He already defeated him through his death on the cross and through each step that we take towards God, his victory becomes our victory. Jesus is the embodiment of every piece of the armor of God, for he is truth. He is our salvation. He is the word of God. He is righteous. He is peace. He is the one in whom we put our faith. And so through the application of this festival, we can experience God's peace in our lives and we so desperately need it in this time as we see the spiritual battles rage all around us but God wants to fight your battles he wants to equip you with his spirit he wants to walk alongside us in every environment that we find ourselves in Jesus wants to be the horn of our salvation And I believe that we can have that same experience that King David did when he called him my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Is that part of your testimony? 
since you experienced Pentecost, that God has helped you and fought alongside with you. He has fought for you. Amen. Amen. So now it's app time. And it's, it's dark now. So here we go. We're delivering. What does the application and meaning of trumpets look like in our everyday spiritual lives? Let us consider together for a few minutes now. Here we go. All right, you can stand with me. I believe that the Bible lets us know when this Feast of Trumpets will be uh, fulfilled literally. And I plan to be there when the last trumpet sounds. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Amen. That's the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets right there. And in the book, Dr. Booker makes this astute observation that when John the Revelator hears the voice of God in Revelations chapter 1. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. The ultimate fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets will be when Jesus comes back for us. Revelation eleven fifteen says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become. This is not Handel's words, my friends. This is the word of God. The kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. That's our hope today. Paul said, encourage one another with these words that someday this will all be over. Everything that is happening now is getting us ready for that day when the last trumpet will sound and Jesus will say, it's over. Jesus is coming again, my friends of the Calvary Church, as the victorious, conquering King of kings and Lord of lords, and I want to be ready And I want to live my life every day ready to hear the sound of the trumpet of God call us all home to be with him. Amen. And so I hope that you're encouraged tonight to understand that even though you feel the heat of warfare in your life every day, 
Every time you listen to the news, you are witnessing spiritual warfare. But we have a horn of our salvation. A God who has always been victorious, who has already defeated Satan. And so it is not up to you and I to make it happen. But it is our opportunity to walk in God's peace as he helps us engage in spiritual warfare through the putting on of the armor of God in our lives. Amen. I wasn't going to say anything about this, but I was in conversation with somebody uh, this just yesterday. And I feel prompted to share it with you now. They were headed to, uh, they got called in, uh, supervisor at their job. And uh, their workplace has become a very hostile environment for them as a Christian in light of recent movements. I'll say that. And um, this individual spoke up in a meeting and just said, you know, I feel like I am being targeted. And I don't agree with everything that's being shared. And I don't feel like my opinion matters as an employee of this company. And there were dire consequences for speaking up. And so they were called in and they were prepared to be fired. That's what they were expecting to happen. But they felt like I did the right thing under God. I could no longer remain silent. And so they told me as I walked from my car to the office, I put on the armor of God. And I asked God to cover me and to help me and to help me let my light shine, whatever they were going to say to me. And he said that meaning was the opposite of everything that he expected to hear. That he kept his job and God gave him favor with the supervisor, the person that made the decision. And that person turned the situation around to say, your opinion matters, your values matter, and we're going to do our best to protect you from that kind of environment again. And so it's possible. I know we hear a lot of negative things, but I'm telling you, the armor of God works and he will fight for you he will fight with you if you give him that opportunity and so let's just pray together I feel the Lord talking to somebody in this moment Jesus I love you you are the feast of trumpets you are the victorious God Lord the walls of Jericho fell down at your command these trumpets symbolize your voice and authority in our lives your ability to conquer every foe of your people. And so, God, may we rest in that reality to know that you're fighting for us. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be intimidated. Surely there are times when we feel like we're the minority. Sometimes, God, we feel ostracized. We even feel like the world is coming against us. But, Lord, we believe that you are greater than any opposition that we face in our lives. God, I pray that we would be encouraged to move forward in our relationship with you beyond Pentecost and into this idea of trumpets where we allow you to teach us how to war in the spirit and live victorious lives. In Jesus' name, I believe it and I claim it for every member of the Calvary Church that you will give us wisdom, that you will give us divine favor in every environment as we strive to honor you and obey your word in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. 
consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.